Hey comrades, welcome to the second episode of the Sunflower Socialist Podcast. So today I did something a little bit different than what I would normally do. Normally I would talk about a political subject or something, but instead I decided I was going to chat with my longtime friend Vincent Jones about some of his essays that he posts to Instagram and just get a bit more information on his perspective on the world. I thought that'd be a little interesting conversation there, and we discuss a lot of topics. We discuss math, music, uh, academia, race. You know, we get into a lot of really interesting subjects, so I hope you enjoy this one. I will just warn you ahead of time, the audio audio quality is a little iffy. It's not like my first podcast, which had way better audio quality than I can ever reproduce, uh, because I use different equipment for that one. Uh, This is going to be a bit more like what my regular podcasts are going to sound like, uh, but if you want to help them sound better, you can give some money on my Patreon, which you can find in the description below. So, let's listen to my conversation with Vincent. Hey Vincent, thanks for joining me today. Uh, you know, we've known each other for for a long time, I'd yeah, say. We have, we have. Yeah, it's, you know, not like we grew up next door to each other or something. It's been, it's been about, what, like 20 years? Yeah, something like that. We're like 22, so. Yeah, yeah, 22 in a few months for me. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) doing the math. Well, and doing the math, that's kind of your thing. Like, you're, uh, and that's kind of one of the areas we really diverge in. I'm uh, a humanities guy, political science, history, those are my fields, uh, but yours are math. Um, Right. You know, it's a big thing. And then also, you really intersect it a lot with, you know, music and then, you know, social issues as well. Yeah, Yeah. a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of race. So those are my kind of issues. I mean, in terms of math, I'm, I'm, you know, Calculation and you know, yeah, I do a little of that, but more so, uh, I like the education and philosophy. Yeah, and then I like the music, man, because I'm just a brother playing music, so I, yeah. you know, that's what yeah. I like to do too. Yeah, and I wish I had the equipment that we could have you play the saxophone on here, but that's a lot that requires a lot more skill than I have. Yeah, Sorry. We'll bring yeah. The violin too. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't touched that thing in years. Actually, I I need to get back on the violin. I need to get the strings changed, but. I've been reading a lot of your papers, and they're okay. uh, really on, they post on Instagram, and they're really uh, quite interesting. The first one uh, was the one that I initially thought was going to go way over my head, and it's math, the case for truth and beauty. But it kind of uh, you really touch on a lot of things about how there really is beauty. There is a beauty in math that I really hadn't seen before, and you tie it in a lot with your music uh, that we were right, just right. talking about there. Uh, and I just kind of want to ask, how does like, you study math, how does this really shape the way you see the world, see your music, and uh, how, like, and just explain what, um, how a mathematician sees the world in comparison to, you know, a historian or a poli-sci person? Yeah, I mean, so here, here's the thing, so, uh, my preface is, you know, I'm not an expert with mathematics, I'm still young in the craft, so yeah. I'm 22 years old, I started with math, yeah, I didn't start studying math until probably, I mean, as a major, until I'm about 20, so I, I haven't really been into it seriously, uh, so, sophomore year so it's only about two years but math helps you shape things because it's, it's a very introspective uh, endeavor uh, it really helps you kind of think very uh, I wouldn't say at a high level but at a deep level you're, you're questioning things a lot you're, you're, what you're doing is you get to a certain level you're doing a lot of proofs yeah. and argumentation and it gets very philosophical and it's like why is this true why you know you question things and, yeah. and you're building arguments and you start with axioms this is true this is true this is you and then if you start with this axiom saying Say, uh, I've been doing too many essays. But yeah, but you're going to say, okay, a set is closed. It's a definition, right? right? And you're going to say one plus one is two. Okay, but from there, you're going to say, okay, given that one plus one is two, what is two plus two equal? So you're building, you start with these axioms, and you're building up larger systems of thought. 
Okay. So so it's it's like it's like yeah you you started from from small things that you're saying are true, and from there, where can we go? Yeah. So and uh, a lot of mathematicians like to kind of just stick within standard math and say, okay, I can prove this, and I can go to the cool stuff like physics or differential equations. I can go into abstract algebra, whatever. Me, I'm like, okay, I, I can do the proofs. Let me see how I can tie this into social issues and yeah. into music. Um, I like, you know, I'm big into jazz, and um, you know, uh, we talked about so in the, in the, uh, we can reference the um, the, um, the article. Um, so I, I can say, you mind if I read? Yes, yeah, go so, ahead, yeah. Okay, so basically, you know, so the the article starts. I'm not gonna read the whole article, but it starts out with this. It says, you know, so math, the case for beauty and truth. I start by saying, math is hard, no question about it. You hear it from the folks who hang their heads low upon leaving a 104 exam all the way up to the badasses taking 600-level graduate courses in analysis and topology. Whether you're trying to finesse tangent lines to beginning calculus or formulate advanced proofs about inner product spaces and mathematical physics, the stuff is pretty rigorous. And to make things even worse, nobody, not everybody's on the same playing level at the start, meaning that some people seem to get it easier, keywords seem, acing tests <laughs> and doing advanced research while others struggle with basic calculations. Right. And I say, why? Well, I'm convinced no matter what people say about math wizards and geniuses, that it's a matter of constant exposure and practice, not innate ingenuity. So that's the, that's the intro. Yeah. And so I, I dig deeper into that. And, and then I talk about, you know, I say, nonetheless, what's what's kept me going through this crazy adventure is, again, not a question of ingenuity, but discipline along with a willingness to stay inspired. And here's my, here's, and here's my motivation. The stuff is deep. Real deep. And I, along with any reasonable math student, would argue that anybody in their right mind who's willing to put in the work can do it and access, access a different world of truth and beauty. It's like learning how to ride a bike or mastering a foreign language. Crazy at first, but doable. Once you do it, things kind of open up naturally. So, And then I go into the music, and I, and I talk about, you know... Um, John Coltrane. Yeah, yeah, everybody knows John Coltrane. You gotta know. Yeah. You don't know John Coltrane. I know. I know Coltrane. All right. Do you know Jimi Hendrix? Or uh, definitely. All right. Yeah, 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 sure. yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's some Irish people I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I say, and that's exactly what happened to me. A big, a big music aficionado myself. I first got hooked on math when I heard about how John Coltrane, a, a famous jazz saxophonist from the 1960s was heavily inspired by the mathematical ideas of Einstein and wrote several compositions that related to his formulas on relativity. So uh, we can break that down. Um, John Coltrane, um, his, his most famous tune uh, was Giant Steps. You heard that? So Giant Steps, it is, it's, a, it's kind of a mathematical tune because it, it, it's built on what I, you think of like shapes, yeah. triangles. So it, you know, are you, you're familiar with what a modulation is in, in music, right? Yeah. So modulation, you can change from keys. Yeah. So I, I'm going to start from, say, like, the key of C. Yeah. You know, no flats, no sharps, just key of C. Yeah. And I'm going to play in the key of C for, say, four measures. Yeah. Then I'm going to modulate to the key of E flat. Yeah. Which is three um, semitones up. Yeah. Well, three notes, C, D, E flat, right? Yeah. Okay. We do that. So C, E flat. Yeah. But then I'm going to play the E flat for four more measures. Then I'm going to go down to G, which is three more tones away. Oh, well. So E flat, F, G. So notice, so I go from C, E flat, to G. So I formed 
and then I go from G back to C. So I formed a triangle. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, right. Yeah. So I think about it. So four, four, four times that by three. Right. That's twelve measures. So it's like blues. Yeah. Based off modulation. So Coltrane, what he did, he made a triangle. Wow. Yeah, he made, you can look up a Coltrane circle. That's what he did. He yeah. went from C to E flat to G. And, and the music is complex. You look at it, but in yeah. the day, it's just three tonal centers. Okay. Wow. Around around that, yeah. And, that, and, and that's just, it blew my mind when I first saw it. I still don't understand it. I still yeah. can't play it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But, yeah. But, but, but Jazz has been doing that. I'm, I'm sure Beethoven and Bach were on that. Yeah. You know, but Coltrane was just like, let me just yeah. jazz it up. Yeah. And, you know, it, you almost. Thinking as the historian and the poli nerd here, you almost have to think, uh, you brought up like Beethoven and, uh, you know, and all those guys, you, you kind of have to wonder, they were at the same time as the Enlightenment, they were probably being inspired by some, the increasing in science, politics, math, I wonder, you know, we know that uh, there was definitely political and, you know, cultural influences that emerged from the Enlightenment on the music, I wonder if there were mathematical influences on uh, the classical composers as well, I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, yeah. so let's, let's see. Not a, yeah, you know, I'm not a math expert. I started, I majored yeah. it. I'm not a math expert. Yeah, I'm just, I just we're on a podcast with like three subscribers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're gonna get some more. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so let's let's think about this. Yeah. Um, well, who would who would even? Um, yeah. Well, look at me. Let's say Newton. Yeah. Right? Newton, yeah. Newton was a bit of a mathematician. Yeah. He invented calculus to study physics yeah you know and oh then that kind of actually just i'm now like you're opening my eyes here you know tying this back in you know i always knew you know science involves math i i did not know that that he invented calculus to study something else like you know right. it opens math opens gateways there it does yeah, yeah math is cool man you yeah. know we gotta we gotta make kids understand math is cool and um, yeah you know and um and then so for me um i grew up listening to a lot of um Hip hop and um, rap and gospel, you know. Whatever. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like hip hop and gospel, right? Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of references to math in, in hip hop. Yeah. So and I, and I wrote about this in my piece as well. Yeah. And I say and I say this and I say you know here's here's a quote: the pool of knowledge is so deep that that Mos Def, um, Mos Def is a is a he's an African American rapper from Brooklyn. Um, he also goes by the name of Yasin Bay. I think I've heard of Yasin Bey. Yasin Bey, yeah, yeah. He works with Blue Bay Fiasco, Casey Benjamin, uh, Tyler Poilet, yeah. uh, you know, you name it, man. The cat's cold. You know, he's, he's good, but he's a little older. Um, yeah. But he, you know, if you, if you want to look at some of his raps um, that he does now, there's a lot of older rappers, they'll, they'll do stuff in the modern jazz. So he works yeah. with, like, Robert Glasper and Black yeah. Radio. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, you do see a lot. You see a lot of intersections. Yeah, I think you yeah. see with the song he did with Robert Glasper. And so Black Radio by Robert Glasper is an R&B soul tune uh, released in 2012. Um, and it's a song called, it's his 10th track, Black Radio by Yasin Bey. He has a, basically a, a track on there. Um, but anyway, so Yasin Bey was famous for a song called Mathematics, actually. Okay, yeah. So in, uh, here, and I'm quoting my article. So the pool of knowledge is so deep that Mos Def, an African-American rapper from Brooklyn, Wrote a rap called Mathematics with the cool verse. If you want to learn how to rhyme, you gotta learn how to rap to how to add. He's mathematics. Yeah. Right? And it makes sense. And he wasn't kidding because just like any mathematician, rappers must make use of space and symmetry. Yeah. You know, in their compositions in order to create polyrhythms yeah. and make the rhymes more appealing. And polyrhythms, you know, are deep in um, West African music. Yeah. You know, it's how rhythm is organized. Yeah. Rhythm of, you know, like 
it's the lines, the spaces of the music and stuff like that, rhythms. So I, I, when I think of rhythms, I mean, I'm not a drummer. Yeah. I wish I played more drums. Yeah. But, uh, you know, polyrhythms are just like you have one rhythm competing against other rhythms. Yeah. Kind of like poly melodies. You ever hear that? Like, yeah. Like kind of a symphony. Like a, a violin plays and then a viola plays this. Yeah. So the competing melodies. Yeah. You know, um, they, they would, someone would say like uh, shifting protagonists in, in songs, right? Yeah. So who's who's playing the melody? Well, who's playing the rhythm? Because what's deep in third world countries is rhythm. Yeah. In, this is true in Indian music as well. You listen to classical yeah, Indian music. Yeah. It's rhythm. And, and you know, how, the, form, the form of the song isn't so much melody as it is in classical music as much as it is rhythm. Yeah. So that's, so, and there's a whole pool of knowledge about rhythm in mathematics, mathematics of rhythm. Yeah. How it's organized. So that's, you know, that's that. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's just how you yeah. can look at it. There's just a couple examples. Yeah. Because one of the things that I find in, uh, politics is we often think oh if we can just distill this you know how we organize or distill our message or something down to like a mathematical formula right. it can be applied everywhere in the world but it you know it's not like if you do that with music you know it would you wouldn't get any variation or anything uh it's not so much trying to find the formula to plug it into it's about noticing the trends that develop almost organically yeah okay can you like, explain more what you mean by that like i mean uh I don't know quite what I'm getting, but like you uh, say, you know, with the music, like they can adapt it uh, mathematically as well. Um, you know, you can use it, but on the like, I think there might. Would you say there's also a way that it's uh, as you do it, the math almost comes as a result of the uh, of the process of making the music, even if unconsciously uh, creating it, so to speak. Yeah. yeah so you, 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 they're influenced by each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so. Yeah. Some people say that there's a juncture between not there's a heavy yeah. distinction between math and music that yeah. they're all related. Yeah. Some people some people think it's actually math and physics. Yeah. Because it's just like okay, like you look at acoustics and how yeah. music is produced yeah. and like the yeah. the fluid in your ears. Yeah. Um, the water and stuff like that. Yeah. Because that's the physics. But yeah. some people say no, there's a relationship between math and music. For me, how I think about music. It's very similar to how I think about math because I like to meta theorize things. Yeah, math, yeah. And I, I like to just think about, um, you know, um, how exactly, you know, I play this note, but where am I going? And how can I yeah. create something? If you think of it as a creative endeavor and yeah. have it flow, it's the same way you think about math. How could I have this argument and math flow? And what, what I have this simple axiom one plus one equals two. What world can I create with that? Yeah, uh, music composition. Yeah, just I have so in, in yeah. music, you know, I, I I have a manuscript paper. I have five lines, right? Yeah, just five lines, right? But write one little note and then on the on the second line, yeah. one little circle and the staff on it. Yeah, and I created a note. Well, I I've, I've done something with it. Yeah, and then like where can I go with that? Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, see where I'm we see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The levels are a little off here. But, uh, you know, I think that's probably a good place to segue. Uh, in another of your essays that you wrote, uh, on, a song, we listened to the song before, uh, oh, the essay, Oh, Baltimore, where you, about the song, Baltimore, you really kind of, you get into this, uh, you discuss this again, and I was noticing as we were listening to it after having read the first paper, I did notice the mathematical, uh, patterns in right. that song. Okay, uh, okay. and it, that create you know, and that kind of created a beautiful, 
you know, Trent, but you point out in this, the words are very much not. Uh, yeah, they're about yeah. the hardships there. And that then got me thinking about another thing, and that's, uh, you know, you, you and I both know that I'm a, you know, I'm of Irish heritage and I love Irish music. And one thing that does come out there with Irish rebel songs and stuff is music as a sort of an expression for a desire for freedom. Mm. Uh, and that's just one thing that I was uh, thinking about. And, you know, would you uh, care talking about your uh, article a while tomorrow? Yeah, so let me, so let's, let's just look at it for a second. So, um, the Baltimore song is interesting. So I, I've always was, uh, I, I like cities. So I, you know, I currently reside in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, and I live in West Philly. West yeah. Philly is a very historic black neighborhood. So, yeah. you know, you people like Billy Holly, like Paul Robeson live in there. You know, like, they're just, Miles Davis would Paul, like. Paul Robeson, perfect for that uh, yeah. intersection there. You know, he's singing songs of freedom there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm glad you know that. Yeah. <laughs> Man was a socialist. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's right. I'm yeah. on the same page. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not social society. Yeah. But <laughs> exactly. yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I was kidding. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, but the, talking about Baltimore. Um, yeah. So, so talking to, I'm, I'm a current resident of, of uh, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And, you know, it, it really, living in Philly for the last four years has kind of really helped solidify my black identity. Mm-hmm. Who I am, you know, I mean, so, you know we, we both grew up in Shawnee, Kansas. Yeah, which is, I, you know, white as hell. Yeah, yeah you know, by 1% minority or something. Yeah, something like, <laughs> some ridiculous like that. Yeah, I think it's uh, increased uh, recently. There's a growing Hispanic uh, community, but it's still, okay. yeah, it's still you know, uh, the black community here is very, very small. It's very yeah. small. Yeah. yeah, but you have a lot of people moving out. It's just we're not reproducing ourselves. Yeah. So, but it's okay. Yeah. You know, I, uh, most of the, the black community is really in Kansas, Missouri. Yeah. But we'll, we'll segue. So, anyways, I, I currently reside in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And um, I was just, I, I love the black community in Philly, yeah. right? Because I'm, my first time I was surrounded by blacks all the yeah. time. And, and these yeah. tour black community and you know, these churches and you had these mosques and these original people, um, you know, different cultures. You had all the people from Africa and the jazz was just so, yeah. so, so, so out there, man. Yeah. This is there. So I, I started to get into, and I, you know, I take a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I, the cool thing about being on the East Coast is, is everything's there. Yeah. So I can take a, you know, I got an aunt who lives, who lives in last like 40 years she's under my control yeah. and um i could take a bus up to her i could take a bolt bus for ten dollars to go see her you know two hours away you know and i could go to boston and it's like five hours away take a you know 50 dollar bus see my sister you know who goes to school outside of boston yeah. um dc is two hours down um yeah. you know and i can you know I, you have a sister who yeah who, who, yeah laura yeah, yeah she's a sister so you know, I, I've had, you know, CC is a very black, uh, middle-class city. Yeah. Right? Of course, you have a lot of black professionals there. Uh, a decent amount of black professionals in Boston. So, anyways, Baltimore was interesting because it's another black city. Yeah. And um, I stumbled across this song because Jasmine Sullivan, who wrote it, she rewrote the song. Um, it was actually a, a song by Nina Simone. Yeah. Nina Simone is, is like the god of, well, one of, one of them. In terms of African American music of the yeah. 20th century, she's one of the best out there in terms yeah. of jazz pianists and whatever. She, she's like an Loretta and Aretha Franklin figure. Yeah. Um, you wrote songs like Mississippi Goddamn, Center Man. Yeah. And one song she wrote was Baltimore. Yeah. Well, I don't know if she originally wrote it, but she definitely was, was instrumental in her, her take of it. Yeah. In Baltimore, um, you know, the first line is beat up little seagull on a, on a marble stair, trying to find the ocean, looking everywhere, hard times in the city. In a hard time by the sea, ain't nowhere to run to, 
there ain't nothing here for free. It's a song about despair. Baltimore, uh, we know we know about the 1969 riots. Yeah. We know about the 19, or the 2015 yeah. Baltimore riots. Yeah, yeah, I remember but, seeing that on the news. Yeah, uh, yeah, everything in Baltimore is like, yeah, just I mean, it, it's a crazy you know, city. You know, yeah, uh, like a, you know, and the nothing here for free. Like you know, she was writing this in the 60s, and you know, before the rise of neoliberalism, and now you know everything's been privatized seemingly. Right. Uh, so right. now it's even worse in that regard with right. the you know the cost of living increases and stuff uh but yeah continue please yeah yeah, yeah. so so jasmine kind of started off I, I was just listening so i'm a big fan of jasmine sullivan she you know she writes a lot and she, she's a great you know she as i said she's from philadelphia i think she went to uh the kappa program in south philly um so anyways the kappa program in south philly is a program for artists uh, you know who were interested. a lot of people kind of came out of that program you had Jill Scott, and um, I believe uh, Jaleel Shaw, who's a jazz saxophone, is based in New York. You had Chris Bright, um, Bilal, um, Music Social, I may have came out of there. Um, some of the other people. But it, it's, you know, it's instrumental. So Philly has a great you know, music yeah. So, anyways, Jazz was sold out, I was listening to records, and then I stumbled across you know, this new remake of uh, Nina Simone's. So it's, it's, it's an album that was made in um, it was 2016. It's, uh, okay. Nina Nina revisited a tribute to Nina Simone. And Jasmine Sullivan is on the fifth record. So it's it's, it's just basically uh, 16 songs yeah. um, uh, that are remade from Nina Simone. Yeah. Um, and one of them was Baltimore. Yeah. And I just, when I listened to the song, I was just like, wow, this song is just interesting. It, just, it kind of captivated me because... And, I, and, and, and because it was talking about something so dismal, like a city that was just aflame, and I and I immediately made connections um, to the to again. But what do we hear about? We hear about Trayvon Martin and Ferguson. We hear about um, Freddie. So Trayvon Martin and in Florida. Then we hear about oh, no, he was Ferguson. Or no, no, Michael Martin in Florida. That's right, Trayvon Martin in Florida and Michael Brown in um, Ferguson. Yeah, Ferguson. And now we hear about, you know, um, Freddie Gray in Baltimore. Freddie Gray in Baltimore, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and interestingly enough, I'm, you know, uh, the priest, or not the priest, the uh, chaplain at my um, university. Yeah. Um, you know, he, I think he used to, he grew up just a few blocks down from where Freddie Gray was shot. Yeah. So listening to that song, kind of like, I mean, this was before I kind of put two and two together. A lot yeah. of life, you had these like epiphanies. So I'm kind of coming up with, you know, yeah. and like, um, it's just, uh, it, it's just, it was just interesting to hear it. And, you know, I, I was just, and so let, let me, you know, I, I just, I heard the song and I was just like, wow. And I kind of started to get ideas. I, I want, I had to sort of kind of write my thoughts down about, about what was going on. And so here's the first paragraph. I said, you know, a few months ago, I stumbled across a tune that really got me thinking. From what I recall, it was just a typical day, just going about my business trying to find that impossible, but keenly sought after balance between work and childlike recess. When I shuffled through a couple of playlists on Apple Music, made the wrong click, and was served some serious ear, ear food, Jasmine Sullivan's cover of Baltimore, a remake from Nina Simone's album of the same name in the 80s. Let me preface, if you're a music head like me, when you hear something good, you stop whatever it is that you're doing at a given moment, studying, drinking tea, running, walking to class, riding on the subway, even driving the car. Yeah, it was that good. 
and give it a good listen. <laughs> yeah. This was one of those tunes. I had to really stop in my tracks because I happened to come across a Mona Lisa-like musical masterpiece. A kill him Shakespeare composition that probably would have made Beethoven bounce to the beat in spite of his hearing it. Since then, I can't imagine how many times I've listened to it. So you kind of, it was just like, that's the tune. You know what I mean? Like, that, it, it was, but, and, and I, I listened to it, but the more I listened to it, the kind of, I started to make more connections. I, you know, I was like, okay, oh, Baltimore, Baltimore. Like, what, what is she talking about? I started doing some research and I looked at the Baltimore Sun and the social and political context of the city. And, you know, I remember I loved the first um, thing that looked in my mind, you know, I, 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 I looked online in the Baltimore Sun and it was there talking about like a, a massive gas leak in the city. Yeah. People report feeling ill from an odorous gas, you know, climate change affecting it, you know, and neighbors are crying out. Baltimore has the highest homicide rate of U.S. big cities. Yeah. You know, corruption, and I write corruption, deceit, lies, poverty, neglect, indigency, uh, crime, racism. It's all it's all there. Not much has changed. You know, I remember, uh, are you familiar with Michael Eric Dyson? Uh, I'm not super familiar with his work, but I'm familiar with the name. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He, so he gave, I, you know, I, um, this guy's a really prolific writer. Yeah. He's, he's from, uh, he's from Detroit. Yeah. Uh, he taught at Penn, um, briefly. <laughs> he's yeah. not there anymore, but he gave a little talk uh, at my church. You know, we, we both know uh, Reverend Dr. Reverend Benjamin Cleveland II. Yeah. 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 You know, we all if know. Uh, you're a political junkie like me, you might be wondering, is that the guy who's in Congress? Yes, he is. He is, <laughs> he is the congressman, yeah. Well, I go to his church, and he yeah. follows him through Congress, so we yeah. move on through yeah. that. And I met him at a Royals game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the guy, he's got the picture on his, yeah. On his thing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, you know, I'll you know I'll read you the paragraph when I I started connecting dots. I was like, wait a minute, and Michael Eric Dyson, right after Freddie Ray was killed, talked about it, and I said, you know, I first remember hearing really hearing about the city when the professor and racial commentator Dr. Michael Eric Dyson wrote a few articles about him in the, in the Sun, and then did a guest lecture about the killing of Freddie Gray at my church back home in Missouri a few years ago. There, amongst a worrisome crowd of a thousand or so local African Americans, Dyson, the self-proclaimed verbal, verbal assassin, used some impressive wordplay and racially charged rhetoric to emphasize a similar set of themes: racism, hopelessness, urban neglect that further tied Gray's death and in the ensuing writing, in the ensuing right riots, to the general Black Lives Matter movement, then still in its then then still in its inception. So, you know, Michael. Yeah, Doctor, sorry, Doctor Dyson, you know, gave a talk, and I was just, you know, connected back to that. Um, you know, I, I, and um, and then so from there, I was just like, okay, so what can I do about it? Yeah. As a math student. Yeah. You know, because I'm studying math, right? Yeah. You know, I'm new to the math thing. I'm writing proofs, and you know, and like, you know, like calculating crap, and you know, it's like, well, how, I'm in my little ivory tower. Yeah. Studying math, you know, hours a day, and like going to these lectures, and like. You know, I'm getting my butt kicked at school, and, and this stuff's going on. So what can I do? You know, and so I just started thinking, and and I made this connection. So do you mind if I read? Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. so here's the connection. I say, so, so, and I say, I'm able to channel a sense of hope out of a song that now points towards a hidden truth, and truth is capitalized. And surprisingly, it all circles back to the math thing. Allow me to go on a tangent to illustrate. Math pun intended. No tangents and calculus. <laughs> yeah, <wait. laughs> puns Pun, puns are evil <laughs> so here we go mathematicians as a part of our training had to prove things 
general formulas, propositions, and statements in order to make way for further argumentation. In a simple scenario, you may, for example, want to prove that there is no such thing as a smaller as a smallest integer, or that a certain solution to a given problem is unique. But some math people, myself included, may feel a bit too boxed in by these problems and want to construct proofs in other settings. A mathematician in a, bio, in a biochemical setting may, for example, want to prove that a certain molecular configuration is in its, is in its lowest, lowest energy state. Or someone in a statistics setting may use proofs to make statistical inferences on data. In my case, which is more on the humanities side, I've been thinking of ways to prove that there's more to Baltimore than what meets eye. So this is a, so this is a, you know, it's it's a it's a practical and a personal proof. Yeah. You know, um, I want to prove something. This is like a so I want to prove that there's more to Baltimore. Than what, you know, yeah. I, 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 I'm not I'm not gonna take like protractors and calculators and all this stuff and and just like kind of assign statistics. You know. I, I'm going to bring some people together. I'm going to talk to some people. I'm going to get some books. And I'm going to say, no, there's more to Baltimore than just to see crime and stuff. Because if there, was, if there wasn't more to it, then Jasmine Sullivan wouldn't, be, wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to turn a song about beat-up seagulls and hookers or whatever into something so beautiful. Yeah. So there's obviously something there. So we got to do something about it. Yeah. And I was like, well... I could do a community activism project. I could do something, and I said, "No, no." So it's a, it's what I call a real world proof, you know, you know, and um, yeah, some graphs and statistics, but I, I want to do something, and, and and you know, and I already know this stuff. You want to combine, you know, math with social activism with social activism, right? And, yeah. and, I, and that goes with kind of what we're yeah you know, with, 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 with your yeah you know, with what I'm doing. I, you know, I'm out there, you know, organizing people, talking to them, you know, giving them the rap whenever I you know have a organizing position right 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 yeah if you're if there's a union or anything hiring call me <laughs> <laughs> he needs a job how do you want to but um so no but baltimore so baltimore has a lot of history you know baltimore school of performing arts you know tupac went there yeah tupac Shakur, Nicki minaj yeah uh tana tnc coach you know yeah. grew up baltimore neighborhoods freddie gray uh the other Westmore that was written based off of Westmore, a lawyer who came out of there. Yeah. So, you know, there's stuff there. Yeah. And we just have to find it. And that's this is a real world proof yeah. of, of it. And that's what inspired my piece, yeah. Old Baltimore. Yeah. What do you think that, that world, real world proof will wind up, you know, looking like? You know, like if you had to describe describe it like as what you want to do when you get there. Kind yeah. Of. I mean, so here's the thing. I don't know if I'm going to go to Baltimore. Because, yeah. You know, yeah. It's just kind of like. Yeah, so I was like, well, if you do, if yeah, you, if, if, if I do, what I do mean, you think this would look like? It probably, I would say it's just like a math camp. No, huh? you know what I mean. Yeah. Just to sit together once a week, get with yeah. get with some students, yeah, some people in the area, some, some high risk youth, and kind yeah. of get with some kind of people because they got a couple universities at Morgan State University, yeah. HBCU, yeah, a couple other schools, and I could just say, okay, let's just uh, teach these kids some math, yeah, you know, and talk to them a little about some topics too, read, read some articles. And Play around and play, go play some basketball, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, once a week, and, and then some assignments come back. You know, and you do that over a six week period. Have some yeah. I'm not like a professional at this kind of thing. Yeah, my first time doing that, but you know, I've just done some little bit of tutoring gigs. But yeah. that, you know, that's what my real world proof was using the kids and this kind of math project, uh, this uh, this uh, uh, math camp yeah. is a way to show that you know there's more to Baltimore. Yeah. yeah, that that is a really 
rather ingenious idea. Like, it's pretty unique because I've heard of, like, you know, people using music camps with, like, you know, they're very, you know, NGO-centric. They're very oriented towards, right. Uh, right. you know, keeping kids off drugs and out of gangs. And, right. like, it's just, like, you know, like, there's a million of them. They're so, so successful. This one seems like it would be more, like, it's not just trying to be, uh, you know, like, give kids something to do, but also to a real-world proof, to prove something and that could spur change. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right, right. That's, so the idea is math for social activism. Yeah, that's you know? an incredibly ingenious idea. Well, it's opinion. not yeah. it's not something I just invented. I'm young. Yeah. There's another mathematician. So again, yeah, you got to give more honor to other people than yourself. So, yeah. you know, this, I, you know, I, I, I actually looked at an article online. It was something yeah. similar that had been done by this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is just kind of a, my contemporary Vince spin on it. You know? Yeah. Of, of math and social activism, you know, plenty of people will be any any math teacher is a social activist. You know, yeah. I, I think any any public school math teacher is a public activist. You know, is a, is a social activist, in my opinion, or should be. If they're not, they're not doing their job because you got to be doing stuff for kids. You know, yeah. and for the larger community of America to teach and, and to prepare America for its next leaders. To prepare these, yeah. Well, no, cool. I'm say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the last of your essays that I want to talk about is the breaking bread. Uh, or, yeah, Breaking Bread wasn't the title yeah. yet. Break, break More Bread. Break More Bread, sorry. Uh, and I could you just explain uh, that article a little bit? You know, kind of good. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I um, had uh, something on Instagram. So on Instagram, it's, I'm going to read my description. It says, Break More Bread. A lot of layers to this piece. The, the term break bread is a, colloquial, is a colloquial phrase coming from the Christian religious tradition of the Eucharist. Where bread is broken and shared to represent the body of Christ in everyday settings, uh, particularly among African American folk, break bread means to wrap, chat, or get a bite to eat with friends. This piece makes a case for breaking more bread with people from diverse backgrounds in order to foster intercultural, intercurricular, and interracial connections. Bringing in an anecdotal example of myself in an uncomfortable setting at a pizzeria with Italian students. And then posing the bold question, who would have thought that a kid from Shawnee, Kansas could comfortably break bread with Milanese international students? I certainly didn't, but that's the thing. I didn't know until I tried. <laughs> yeah. So, like, this art, the reason I wanted to talk about this article is, like, it's a fascinate. like, it was just an interesting scene that you set, and where is yeah. the article? Uh, like, you, you discussed, you were out at a... Uh, you had a fancy dinner with some uh, Penn, uh, Penn State, University of Penn, Pennsylvania, Italians at a local pizzeria, right. um, 13 or so Italians, uh, Milanese Wharton undergrads, economic majors, and Italian studies, PhDs, and a bunch of margarita pizzas. Right. And it's, right. like, that just, uh, like, it almost sounds like uh, a setup for, for a joke, like, um, like, 13 Italians. 13 Italians and a black guy from Kansas. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, they invited me. So. Yeah. 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 It's uh, like, you know, that does, uh, like, it sounds like a joke, but it was like, you discussed it was a very uh, interesting thing, you know, getting to connect over, you know, things, pretty big differences, you know, not right. just the language barrier, but like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, it didn't help, but, you know, I do have an aunt who lives in Italy. She's, yeah. she's lived there for the last 30 years. Yeah. You know, she uh, she uh, has family over there. So, yeah. You know, um, yeah. 
So I, I, you know, I have a little bit of knowledge of the Italian bliss and speak a little of it. Yeah. I uh, enjoy it. Language, I always appreciate it. So I had, there was some common ground. It wasn't like, yeah. you take some dude yeah. who's never been with Italian dudes whatever, who mm-hmm. just, right, it wasn't just like, roll a dice to get this guy, bring it over. I mean, yeah. I, I did have some commonalities, but yeah. from the outside of it, it was just like, the contradictions were just yeah. gracious. <laughs> yeah. It was awful. Yeah. You know, it, you know, it, it such a divide in our personalities and looks and everything, you know, like, how we yeah. carried ourselves. Yeah, and like, one of the things, uh, what I think it was probably my favorite uh, line in the uh, paper was, uh, and then you, and then there you have it, I came in completely disheveled with my lo- locks out of whack, outfit ruined by the rain, only to confront a group of 13 or so international students wondering if they had invited the wrong guy. The workers were probably expecting some sort of social experiment ending in a widespread fiasco. A bunch of racial and cultural microaggressions causing me to rush to the door. Who's this this quirky looking dude coming in and trying to fit in with what seems like the Italian embassy? Yeah, man. Yeah, that was <laughs> such a great thing. I mean, that's what it was, man. Yeah. I came in to work, it's like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got some Philly people, you know, the yeah. workers, right? You know, Philly, Philly's pretty integrated. So, yeah. you know, all, I mean, yeah. more integrated than um, yeah. most cities. But I, I would say, you know, this is a good vibe right, yeah. in Philadelphia. So, the workers, not all the workers are Italian, but. It was just like northern Italians coming in, like this is the spot we're gonna go at. Yeah, and then this brother from Kansas coming in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but I, you know, I, I talk about it. You know, we talk about it. You know, I say, but somehow I made it work. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's like I made it work somehow. Yeah. You know, and I, and I say, you know, but this, you know, it's and I can read the line, but somehow I made it work, sort of. As some people would say from my neighborhood, when folk get together to eat, to chat or eat, we broke bread. But this time, the bread was properly cooked in a wooden oven and glazed with pomodori and formaggio, allowing us to munch in synchrony in the city of brotherly love, irrespective of geographic origin, nationality, and race. Yeah, yeah. like, that's, you know, yeah. and I'm not saying, like, obviously I'm not trying to imply this is, like, a secret, like, the secret to uh, racial harmony in America. <laughs> like, you know, like, I, like right. that, that is another discussion for another time. Right, um, right, right, right. But, like, it's a... You know, just an interesting case study, and I think, you know, everyone, uh, you know, be they leftist or regular people, can probably take something away from it. Uh, yeah, man, I mean, it's just, it, it's yeah. cool, it's, yeah. it was fun, yeah. you know? You know yeah, just... like, just, uh, like, I think, often, one of the reason I, uh, one of the reasons that I really like this article is because I feel, like, in college campus, on my college campus, uh, right. in right. my community, right. even in within left-wing circles, right. 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 we right. have this tendency to kind of, like, isolate ourselves and not want to like you know go uh hang out like not and it doesn't just have to be on you know like certain like demographic factors it's just like you know like you say uh, within departments right like i at jewel i don't often see people from the poli sci department uh unless they're on a sports team with them really getting really integrated with someone in like the nursing department. No. Uh, yeah. You don't see that that much. We all we all kind of tend to group together in those right. things. And, right, you know, right, right, uh, right. You will see, you know, people on a certain sports team or in yeah. a certain frat or in a certain department just group together in the caf, in the caf, the cafeteria uh, there. And I think that's just an important thing. And what do you think, uh, like, not only just making it work, the biggest takeaway that you have to say as to why this is so important, what do you think? In terms of this kind of interaction, yeah, this so kind of interaction, yeah. I mean, if you don't get to know the people, you're going to stay with your own. You're going to stay with your own 
comfort zone. Yeah. So you know, like, I think you hear quotes by people saying nowadays, it's like, you know, life begins when you get outside your comfort zone. Yeah. When you stay with your comfort zone, you're just a zombie. Yeah. You just go about life, doing things, just 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 stay what you're doing. Following traditions, that's okay. You know, it's yeah. good to do what you believe in. But if you're not interacting with the world, then where's life? Yeah. You know, and, and I think another thing is that we, we we both come from a Christian tradition. Yeah. Right? You're you're our Methodist. You're Catholic. Um, one of the more uh, powerful teachings was love thy neighbor. Yeah. You know, as I love myself. And, yeah. Um, and, you know, that's you know, to love the Lord with all your heart, spirit, mind, yeah. right? And then the second one is love thy neighbor's love of myself. And um, that was important um, because, you know, it, 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 because it, it, it plays so much into how our political scene is happening today. Yeah. You're talking about, you know, first immigration. Yeah. You're talking about border control. Yeah. You're talking about, you know, um, you know like global terrorism. Yeah. Right? You know, uh, you're talking about probably the first Democrats, all these yeah. tensions, yeah. police brutality. It all boils down to how you respect your like you and other people don't look like you. Yeah. If you can't engage in conversation with people who are different, who are you? You know, like, yeah. what, what are you doing? Are you living? You know, it's like, different isn't just race. It's yeah. also gender. Yeah. It's also sexual orientation. Yeah. Um, it's also religion. It's, it's, it's everything. And I mean, I'm not saying we gotta, like, everybody, like, I mean, everybody's like, all the colors are rainbow. Everybody's gonna be different. I mean, like, you gotta have values. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, is what I believe. There's a right and wrong. Yeah. You know, I think people will say that, but um, when somebody's got something to say, yeah. listen and engage the conversation yeah. and contest it and then talk about it like we're doing now. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that's so important now in our country. We have people like the four or five running the country, you know, like yeah. tearing up Congress. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, and so, but now, you know, we, like for example, we just went to a, uh, a protest, a protest yesterday. Yeah. You know, and we, about the McDonald's workers yeah, coming in, minimum wage, yeah. minimum wage workers, and um, you know, and I, it was just interesting because we were talking. And I was just thinking, okay, this is just an interesting kind of talk. Going in front of McDonald's, and he talks, and you know, a lady who had just came in from uh, Tabrador from uh, Mexico. She yeah. came in and she was um, talking about how hard it was for her family and stuff like that. And yeah. Another guy came in talking about. Uh, he was one paycheck away from homelessness. Yeah. You know, and that was just crazy. Yeah, dude. But then, you know, Jolie Justice and Quentin Lucas. Quentin Lucas came yeah. in. And for context for people who aren't from Kansas City, right. Jolie Justice and Quentin Lucas are the two mayoral candidates. Mayoral candidates, right. Yeah. But interestingly enough, for my East Coast people, Cory Booker yeah. actually gave a t- he, he called in and, yeah. and, and gave a little speech about workers' rights. And so yeah. In, all, in a crowd full of Bernie supporters. Bernie right? supporters. Yeah. Everybody's on the same. So it doesn't, we're, we're breaking bread. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're breaking bread. And that's so important to do. Yeah. Because it's just like, who cares about this Midwestern city? You know, but that's what people on the East Coast, you know, yeah. people, but people here, it's like, who cares about the East Coast? Folk? So it's just like, we have all these differences. Yeah. It's just annoying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how do we break bread? You yeah. know, yeah. So yeah. That, that's what this piece is about. Yeah. And in a way, like, I, it really does seem like a good argument against, uh, like I do see online, you occasionally deal with some more fringe elements, um, and some of the ones I like between you know the alt right, you know that one a white ethno state, or maybe you have like uh, groups like the Black Israelites and the Hoteps and stuff. They they want you know, like they want the white people to go away, or 
they or something like that. Right. Uh, right they right, were right. you know separate societies. Right. But the thing is, like you know, we are all we you know, it's like Kansas City and East Coast people. We don't necessarily like each other, but we are on this planet together. Exactly. Like we gotta you know we gotta find a way to get along. And you know, like I don't want to sound cliche or anything, but we do have to talk to each other at some point. Like yeah, yeah we gotta break. And bread. like there are some people that uh, like. You and I, we, there are people that we're just not going to break bread with. Nazis, we're not going to break bre- bread with them, obviously. And they don't want to break bread with us. But we do need to find a way to work together uh, with you know those that are willing, in good faith, as you say in the article. Like, yeah, those yeah. who are yeah. you know, willing to come to the table in good faith. But even with the Nazis, you got, I mean, yeah. I mean, and that's a whole other topic. But I yeah. think um, yeah. you got to find a way to, you know, like, what, what are y'all doing? <laughs> yeah, I was just yeah, yeah. Like, sometimes to say, what are y'all doing? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, you know, like, break it down yeah. like that, you know. Yeah, once once we break their movement, you know, they, we got we're gonna have to reintegrate these. You know, we do have to fight fascism because people are people, man. Yeah, you know, eventually they are gonna have to come back and join the rest of us in the real world. Right, uh, right, right. I, I hope that it happens. They're gonna have to break out of this delusion, and we're gonna have to help them find their way back in once that is broken. You know, we might not be their best friends at first, but you know, hang on, break some bread, have a beer. You know, just we we are gonna have to talk with them eventually. But we'll, you know, there's not to say, like, we can't, we can't smash the bash. Um, <laughs> That's right, man. That's yeah. Right. Uh, but thanks so much for joining me today, Vincent. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, Thank like, you so much. Anytime, yeah, this anytime. is, this is great. Yeah, it was great seeing you again. Um, best of luck with, uh, with your next, you know, semester and getting your degree and everything. I yeah, hope we can talk be, again. Yeah, yeah, we're doing some research this summer. I'm excited. So, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully have another one of these sometime yeah, soon. Yeah, we'll have to, yeah. And just so people know, uh, they can see your uh, your essays and on Instagram and where can they see them on there? Yeah, so I have a so I have a math page where I talk about basically topics about um, math, music, history, a little bit of race, and I post my essays and pictures and stuff yeah. like that. And it's a V Jones Math, so V J O N E S M A T H, so yeah. V Jones Math. You know, it's Essays, cool pics, mathematical explorations of Vincent C. Jones, the Kansas kid, and Dave Chappelle of mathematics. <laughs> Dave Chappelle of mathematics, yeah, I like it, yeah. And again, that is V. Jones Math on Instagram. So everyone go uh, fo- follow V. Jones Math when when you are done listening to this podcast. So yeah, thanks so much, Vince. Appreciate See you around. Yeah. All right, get you later, man. Thanks for right. Yeah, <laughs> So thanks, everyone, for listening. I want to go ahead and apologize for some of the inconsistencies in the audio levels there. Uh and for why this bit at the end here is actually a bit better than the rest of it, I recently got a new audio interface, which I didn't have back then, and we were only using one microphone, uh, so it was a little inconsistent, and it was hard to get uh, the levels even. Uh, so I did the best I could in the editing there, uh, and because we were using a phantom power supply and not an interface when we did this, it's a little bit wonkier than this is going to be. I just thought I'd throw in a little personal update here at the end. Uh, I meant to get this out to you a little while earlier, but it's just been crazy in my life right now. Uh, I've recently started a new job, and just uh, things are a little wild, and I'm trying to just make sense of it all. But I want to assure you that I've not gone away. I will be making more episodes of the Sunflower Socialist podcast here in the next few weeks. The next episode I want to do is going to be over Israel and Palestine, so please look forward to that. I've recently really fixed up my audio setup here, gotten an interface, gotten a new stand. So it's going to be quite different in terms of quality from here on out and hopefully better. So yeah, thanks so much for everyone who stuck around to the end for the update here and solidarity. 